This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. First responders struck by deaths rose by almost 50% in 2021 from what we saw in 2020. Struck by incidents are on track in 2022 to exceed 2021's numbers. The Emergency Responder Safety Institute, of which I and our guest today are members of, is overseeing a new reporting project that hopes to provide the data for us to better understand solutions to the problem. Before we begin our talk, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Before we dive in, here's a little bit about our guest today. Dr. Bill Genoway is the project manager for the FHWA CVVFA Traffic Incident Management Struck by Reporting Project. It's a mouthful. Uh, and he is an active member of the Emergency Responder Safety Institute team. Bill spent over 40 years in the insurance industry, first managing national risk control specialist operations for two major insurance carriers, followed by his role as VFIS managing their education, training, and consulting services. With 50 years of Pennsylvania fire and EMS experience, Bill has served as chief in two communities and currently is assistant chief of safety in the Upper Marion Fire and EMS Department in suburban Philadelphia. In addition, Dr. Genoway has served as the president of the board of directors of the Congressional Fire Service Institute, has an experience as an adjunct professor of risk analysis and public safety at three universities, authors the monthly Safety 101 series in Pennsylvania Fireman Magazine. And if that isn't enough, he's in his third year as a local elected official. Dr. Genoway, welcome to the Side Alpha podcast. Well, thank you for having me today, Mark. And, and that's actually my third term. So I'm working on uh, my 13th through 18th years as an elected official. Goodness gracious. Yeah. And I, uh, I I feel for you with all the other things you had going on. And then the elected official part, man, you you uh, you, you piled on yourself, but I appreciate your service to the community and your, your service, uh, certainly to the fire service. So, Doc, before we talk about the new project, let's talk about the problem. Okay. Um, first, I, I want to be clear that when, for all of our listeners, that when we talk about roadway uh, safety, this discussion, it involves all first responders, not just firefighters. Uh, sometimes we we are only talking about a fire service issue, but this is about all first responders. And for the purposes that we're talking about today, it's the disciplines that we work with every day, law enforcement, EMS, towing, and roadway safety patrols that many states um, have at their disposal. So, so far this year, so 2022, just in the two months of 2022, we know that four firefighters, four law enforcement officers, two tow operators, and two police canines have been struck and killed at roadway incidents. Historically, you know, many more law enforcement officers, at least for the past four years, uh, of data that we have, many more law enforcement officers have been victims 
than fatalities on the roadway than any of those other disciplines. However, this year, firefighters are on par with our law enforcement partners, and that's not a, uh, a, a stat that any of us uh, want to see going up. So, Doc, while we'll get to the project in a few minutes, can you help our listeners understand the problem that we're talking about and, and maybe give us some advice on how we can reduce these numbers? Well, Mark, I think that any person who spends any time at an incident and on the highway and just observes the traffic patterns and how people drive, uh, even though you're trying to perform rescue, put out a fire, provide medical attention, help someone who has a flat tire, if you're standing on that roadside, it is now impossible to stand there without people driving past you recklessly, at high rates of speed, very close to you. And it doesn't take long to realize that you're in a precarious position, yeah. regardless of the situation. So even if you're out there just changing your own flat tire or dealing with a mechanical problem in your car, you're taking your life in your hands. Yeah. And unfortunately, as you point out, it's becoming worse and worse or more and more of a problem. And we can attribute this to a lot of different reasons, but the D driver is clearly the culprit in many, many, many of these incidents, if not uh, 90% of them. The, the D drivers just seem to become more frequent and the aggressiveness on the highway coupled with the D driver just escalates these numbers very, very quickly. Yeah, so for our listeners that might not be aware, can you explain what the D driver means? Well, the D driver is something, there is nothing more than uh, the uh, drinking, distractive, uh, distracted, and any other D word that you could think of that yeah. takes someone from consciously monitoring and watching what they're doing and how they're proceeding down the road and somehow becoming distracted and being part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Yeah, so those distracted drivers, uh, the D driver he's talking about are or what um, you know we see so much of, and, and let's face it, folks, we we know many of us, me included, have um, been on our phones at times we shouldn't be on. We now carry basically carry a computer at our hip in our cell phones, and texting, looking at the website for the restaurant you're trying to go to. All of those different things uh, are things that uh, contribute to that, as he as Dr. Genway said, the reckless behavior and ultimately the distracted driver. So, um, you know, I see it every day at tow operators and EMS operators, especially because they're out there with smaller vehicles with less uh, ability to block. Um, you know, what are they to do? What, what, what's out there, what's available to them and how much does it cost to get the training or, or to get the information? Uh, there, there are a number of, of approaches that one could take with this. For First of all, from how much does it cost to get the training? Anyone can go on the respondersafety.com site and get hours and hours and hours of training. And I don't just mean training for them as individuals on how to work at a work zone on the highway, but also how to communicate with the general public. And there have been a variety of tools and techniques used here with emergency responders going to service plazas, uh, putting public safety announcements on TV and radio, and just one-on-one -on -one communication. I remember a few years back where every 
motorist who had a driver's license in their renewal would get a note and a little, a little card that was in there and said uh, what they needed to be concerned with on a uh, slow down and move over approach to driving safely. So yeah. there were a number of approaches. They are, for the most part, free. Uh, and for those training classes, not only are they short, they are designed for uh, all levels of, of uh, reading comprehension. So uh, you know, there, there's no concern about a high-level course. We're trying to get information in the hands of people um, at the lowest level so that they will understand the problem and how to manage the problem. Yeah, so we'll... We'll put a link to respondersafety.com for those that didn't get it. We'll, respondersafety.com. We'll put a link to that in our show notes so anybody can go to it. They they don't need to pay anything for the classes, nothing to register or anything like that. They just go to the link and they can get the classes, right? Well, there is a registration requirement, uh, and that is it's with all uh, platform type training that exists. You you do have to register, but don't worry, we're not giving away any life secrets and no cost for the and registration. No yes, no cost yes. for the training. Okay, so. Um, Janelle, give me a second on this at 322. Okay. I think sometimes we as first responders become desensitized to the to the true breadth of this type of problem. I mean, it, you know, we we've taken the classes, we get traffic incident management programs going and and um, I think most states now have them going and I know respondersafety.com and the Emergency Responder Safety Institute we're out there all the time we're beating the drum, right? Um I I think sometimes people hear the drum beat and they just become desensitized. Uh sometimes internally we write it off as just a cost of doing business or uh, what I find particularly disheartening is that statement and also that we are always trying to find fault in something we did. Um, while I, I think there's something to be said for our strategic and tactical look at roadway management and that whole traffic and management program, um, the TIMS program is intended to help us. Um, let's talk about the costs associated with these incidents. So, you know, if we take the training, we've done everything we can do. People just want to write it off. I, you know, it's a lot more than I think most people recognize. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, Mark. And you're absolutely right. It is much greater than what most people think about. And, and let's start off with, with the most obvious, and that's personal injury, death, and significant property damage. Uh, we all know the cost of a fire engine today and an ambulance. And, and I know that in my community where we're budgeting, you know, we're looking at Fire engines, the last one I think was about $700,000 that came in. Uh, the last ambulance was about 325,000. And if one of those gets hit on the roadway, uh, it's an unbelievable amount of money to uh, replace it, not to mention the downtime for the vehicle. And, and I remember we had a traffic management unit that was struck uh, back in 1999. And when that unit was struck, uh, it was a drunk driver that hit it rear-ended it and knocked the driver out of the seat across the engine cowling. It was a, a front nose, uh, small vehicle, knocked him over that cowling and he landed, even though he was belted, he landed in the passenger seat. And we're not mm -hmm. talking about a little guy either. We're talking about a pretty good sized person. 
the force with which that vehicle hit that traffic unit was just unbelievable. We were operating in a motor vehicle accident with a fire at, the, at that time. Uh, and, and it just took us by surprise. Um, and then we have the issue, is he hurt? It took us away from the emergency we were dealing with to now deal with the personal injury that he was suffering. We had another set of vehicles that we had no idea what kind of problems we had there. And we had a person who was a drunk driver who was running and fleeing from the scene. So when you start talking about the kinds of things and how, how bad something can spiral, this had everything but a fatality attached to it. Property damage, injury, police requirements, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention we were shutting down a six lane highway at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example. But let me take you to um, uh, the, what I'll call the next level of challenges that comes with this. And that is commerce delays. I remember again, back as all of these concerns were starting to be raised in Pennsylvania, we had an, an unbelievably proactive state senator by the name of Connie Williams. And Connie approached all of the fire chiefs who operated along the Schuylkill Expressway, which runs between Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia, uh, or between King of Prussia and the city of Philadelphia. And uh, there, there were five of us. And she said, uh, I want to have a hearing uh, and I want us to talk about the impact that your accidents have. And she said, at the end of this, I want you to talk about how long these incidents take to clear. And a couple of things were happening. Number one, uh, it was a, it's a very, very tight and narrow four-lane highway, uh, but there's not a lot of room to move things to the side just because of its location uh, and design. So anytime there's an accident, you're shutting down one or two lanes in a specific direction. And she brought to our attention, she said, you know, every time that lane gets shut down or those lanes get shut down, she says, you're costing a million dollars a minute. Mm. product getting in and out of Philadelphia, out to the suburbs, down to, to Harrisburg, over to New Jersey, because that route takes you from Philadelphia north and west into the Pennsylvania Turnpike. So her goal out of all of this after the hearings was to initiate the steer clear law in Pennsylvania uh, that we were introducing at the time, but also to empower fire uh, personnel or fire chiefs in particular to be able to get a roadway open if the state police or other local police weren't able to get there quickly. Because when a truck rolls over, as we all know, and stuff dumps out on the highway, it takes a little while to move it. And sure. if it's not if it's not a factor in the investigation, there was no reason to leave it on the roadway. And the state police worked very, very well with uh, Senator Williams and her team. And lo and behold, about a year later, we have legislation introduced and passed in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, but what, what prompted this? Was it vehicles being struck, firefighter vehicles being struck, ambulances being struck? No, it was the cost of doing business and the productivity in Pennsylvania. Um, so that, that's number two. And then you mentioned the last one, which is uh, the, the mental health or mental stress. This is just an, an unbelievable challenge today. Uh, every time a firefighter is injured, the team that that firefighter is with really needs some counseling. Um, and, and whether that counseling is sitting down and talking to the chief or the officer in charge or safety officer or somebody, they need to vet what they saw, what the impact of that incident was upon them 
and get in a better place psychologically so that they can do, go about doing their job without uh, any kinds of challenges being uh, presented to them, whether it's mental or, or physical. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's really no um, dollar figure that you can put on. It's sort of like asking what's a life worth. You know, it's it's hard to put a dollar figure on the mental health costs um, and, and then the psychological costs that go along with all that. Exactly. There's no way to put a, a dollar or price tag on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure as you've seen, I have seen one physical injury can end up uh, taking a firefighter out of service permanently uh, if psychologically they can't rebound from that. Sure. Yeah. Can we talk, go back for a second and talk about the distracted drivers again? Because it's, I mean, it it just irks me when I sit and think about this more. What's out there? Uh, we talked about what else we could do. What else can be done? Not so much what we can do, but what else can be done? What systems are out there to alert drivers to our existence and uh, to the need for more awareness? You know, I'm not talking about training for a driver, typical driver stuff, but are there systems that you can elaborate on that uh, will help drivers be aware that we're there? There have been over the years a number of, uh, I'll just call them electronic devices that have been created and invented uh, with a variety of applications to let a driver in a passenger vehicle or a truck know that there is some kind of challenge ahead, whether it's roadway is blocked, uh, there's an ambulance, and, and I'm sure most of us are familiar with ways. If we use ways, it's going to tell you for every police officer where they're located, how many cars are off on the shoulder and so on. But sure. many people don't use Waze or any similar system. That's probably the simplest uh, answer that I can give you. However, yeah. there, there are more sophisticated systems that in theory can take over the radio in a vehicle that can communicate with a vehicle and let them know and, and activate some device within the vehicle. But let's be honest about that. When you, when you look at that kind of an approach, how many millions of vehicles do we already have on the road? And how many, it's great for a new vehicle, but for those legacy vehicles, how do we adapt them? Yeah. What's the cost and what's the potential use? And if the use, frankly, isn't ingrained or built into the vehicle, the likelihood of somebody turning it off the first time it annoys them is highly probable. So th there are tools and techniques um, to use. I mean, I personally, I love to use Waze, um, but uh, for the most part, th those types of systems aren't effectively used by the general public, yeah. even though they could be, and it could save a life. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I know about the, the connection of HOSS, uh, HOSS alerting system, the safety clouds, and how that technology is actually in most of our uh, existing stock and uh, new stock of uh, custom fire apparatus, right. uh, ambulances, and a lot of police cars. But it does require the fire department to subscribe to that service. Uh, but then that service will 
alert a driver through ways and that's part of the dilemma is got to get it you know broader than just ways so that's that's a good point you know we could spend hours and hours talking about striping and lights but we'll save that for another day uh, probably for a, for a webinar or such instead of just a podcast um, I, I think there's a lot more to it than most people probably take time to think of um, before Mark, we, I think that yeah. if, if the engineers who are looking at implementing these systems forget about and this is tough I know that forget about the immediate application and the immediate return on investment and look at the long-term implementable tool that can achieve the best end result will get to a useful tool faster. Yeah. Yeah. The almighty dollar tends to get in the way, doesn't it? It, it does. And I understand the push for return on investment, but over the years, a number of manufacturers um, have, have approached uh, uh, multiple prior employers of mine. Uh, because we did a lot of uh, fleet insurance programs before I, I went to work at VFIS and they had their own technologies, but each one was what I'll call a vested technology, meaning it, it was only going to apply to what they wanted it to apply to. Sure. Not the big picture. And you, you have to look at a bigger picture when you're trying to build some sophisticated system for the long term. Yep, absolutely. Well, before we talk about the data capture project uh, that is, is started out here, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals and over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a wide range of solutions and includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. We're back with Dr. Genway. Doc, tell us about this new struck by reporting system that you are uh, spearheading the coordination of. Well, Mark, I'm, I'm really excited about this project. We've been at it now for about seven months, and it, it started with a concept that uh, Federal Highway, through the Department of Transportation and uh, the Responder Safety uh, Institute, uh, had, had for years looked at incident reports in what I'll call a very, um, and I don't mean this demeaning, but in a very cryptic manner, meaning if someone had information, if there was a news article, if there were some photos, if there was a report of some type, that would be identified and submitted to respondersafety.com. And then uh, our good friend, Jack Sullivan, uh, and his team would take a look at those on a regular basis and would do some data analysis and, and essentially identify all of the the key components of the good training and awareness programs that we have today. But it is a mammoth manual task to get a written document, read through it, start to do little boxes and slash marks and all of those things that one does when they're starting to, to analyze reports, uh, and, and then come up with strategic and tactical approaches to solving the problem of roadway incidents. This is designed, this tool is designed to simplify that uh, by capturing 12 different screens of information that 
we have identified over the years as being the core components of the analytics that can be used to then further the cause for highway safety. Now, and I'll explain that in a minute. But just to step back again, the good work that Jack and, and uh, Steve Austin and, and all of the other uh, individuals, Todd Lease, uh, all, all of those individuals uh, have done over the years, uh, it really, really has, has been focused upon, here's the, here's the incident, here's what happened, here's the outcome, here's what we need to do. So we were able to figure out from that the, the key data points and then narrow those down so that they become quick clicks of the box, checkoffs or whatever you wanna call them. We were then working with 21 different uh, agencies and had two webinars uh, to go through the hypothesis, the conceptual application, the initial cut of the form and the data entry system. And that went through two webinars. And then we developed the final tool, which now for the past 30 days, I have been doing some final beta testing on to see what we can accomplish um, from, or what I should say, what field data gathering challenges we have and what output challenges we may have. And just this morning, um, I presented a webinar or, or just a, a segment on, uh, on this to 45 different individuals in the tri-state area of Phil uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, uh, and, and Maryland. And I'm happy to say that we walked away from there with another validation that this system will work. The one I did just prior to this was about a week ago with about, about 100 uh, fire officers. And uh, we ended up with individuals coming up and saying, hey, Bill, I have a couple of cases here where we've never given the information to anybody. You think we could put it in there? So we actually were able to show all of these fire chiefs who are there how short and quick and simple it is to do the data entry here and then what it means on the back end as far as how we can use that data. So that being said, before I get into particulars, let me give you some background on the two primary reasons uh, to, to move forward with this data gathering project other than simplifying the process. Number one, we all know as leaders in our organization that if we want anything, we have to have data to support our request. So whether we're a fire chief, a police chief, uh, an owner of a tow service, uh, Department of Transportation, uh, you, you name the, the agency or the organization. If we don't have data to support our premise for new equipment or new procedures, no one is going to listen to us. They're gonna say, gee, that's a nice to have, where are the results? Where is the data? Where are the analytics? You're going to demonstrate to me that you have an actual need and that you can change outcomes as a result of doing what you want to do. So that's number one. Secondly, grant programs have been at the heart of all of our activities with responder safety and with um, any kind of, of uh, highway safety initiative. And if we want to continue to perform the needed research and develop the new technology and work on new standards, best practices, or whatever you want to call them, we have to have the data to support the need for that. So therein lie the two hypotheses, the two premises, the two outcomes that we're really looking for 
this project to support and provide to us and in the next generation of highway safety. So, so capture those two problems again in, in one sentence. What are the two issues again that, that we're looking to capture here? We're looking to capture data that will support funding for any highway safety initiative at okay. any level. Right. And, and then secondly, to support continued grant research, grant support and research okay. for future SOP development, standards development, best practices. Okay. On, a on a more global scale. So we have Perfect. a local and a more global scale. Perfect. So um, we'll include a link, if it's okay, we'll include a link to the uh, reporting mechanism in our show notes. Absolutely. Okay, for our folks to be able to use. Um, can you tell them, or, or at least give our listeners an idea of what to expect when they sign in? Well, Mark, it's a very simple process to access the system to enter the information. If you simply go to respondersafety.com, click on to that site. Uh, in the tabs at the top, you'll see one that says struck by and near miss. You're going to click on that. And then that'll bring down uh, two columns. And on the left-hand column, looking at the screen, the second item is going to be struck by database or struck by uh, report. And you click that on and it takes you right into the system. You don't have to register. You don't have to log in. Uh, you don't have to do anything to get into the system itself to enter your data. Okay. All right. So we'll include that link up there. Um, so then once they get in there, what do, what do they say? So once you get in, uh, you're going to be prompted through about 12 screens. Uh, the first one is the incident time and date. So you're going to enter in our minute, a.m., p.m., the date, and the day of the week. And all of these are drop-down screens. So you don't have to worry about you know, looking for different things or typing stuff in. Hit hour, hit the drop down, go down to seven. If it was 7 a.m., click that on and then work your way through the system. And when you go to date, it's going to drop you a calendar down there. Mm -hmm. So all of those all of those drop downs are designed to make it simple for you, which is one of the things all of our our stakeholders were very helpful with in helping us define what all of those elements are going to be. So screen number two is the incident type. And we identified about 10 different types of incidents and you can check one or all that apply. And was it a crash scene, debris removal, fire, or the traffic stop, work zone, or other. And if there's other identified on any one of these screens, then you're asked to include what other means. Uh, so you have to describe other. So incident type is the second screen. The third screen is where did this occur, the incident location. And it asks you to enter state and territory. So this covers Canada as well. So this is again a drop down. City, town, and or county, and you would enter it in. So if you're in Bayshoreville, Maryland, well, you can put in Bayshoreville, Maryland. Or if you want to put in Prince George's County, you put in Prince George's County. Uh, and then the road name identifier. And if it's Route 95, you put that in. If it's at the intersection of walk and don't walk, you put that in. So there are a couple where you do have to enter in some specific language, but it's not rocket science. It's it's the very basics of 
where the incident was, and it's the same kind of information, you're going to enter into an incident report. Sure. Item number four is roadway information. So the first is roadway type, and this ranges from ramp, shoulder, road. This is this is not a drop down. This is a checkoff block, uh, but but it's prompting you through everything. So you don't have to sit down and write a lengthy report and say at the intersection of, of walk and don't walk, uh, car one entered the intersection, hit car two. You don't have to do that. This is much much simpler than writing an accident report. Uh, once you do the roadway type, uh, then you do the roadway location, bridge, elevated roadway, intersection, travel lane. And again, there are about 10 different options that you have uh, on, on this one. Then the next one is weather. We have about 20 different items. And this is an all that can apply. In fact, I entered one this morning. I was on a run this morning for a vehicle uh, fire. And uh, the demo that I was doing for the group this morning, I entered data from around that. Well, it just so happened that we had drizzle. Uh, we still had some ice on the on the ground from the ice storm overnight. Uh, it was uh, raining. Uh, it was uh, uh, what I'll call cloudy. Uh, and uh, um, it was windy. So I had about a half a dozen checkoffs here as to uh, what, what the weather conditions were at the time of the incident. Uh, and again, all this comes in handy when you're starting to uh, get underneath the data and find out, gee, how many of these occurred when there was wind? How many of these occurred in a blizzard condition? Right. Uh, the next the next is site distance. And it asks, was the site distance impacted by a road feature such as a blind curve or steep grade? And you can write yes. And then it's going to ask, what, what was the scenario? Uh, and then it's going to say um, uh, no or unsure. So it's asking you for some details on that. The next prompt asks, who were the agencies that responded? So the one again this morning that I was on, we had uh, EMS because the uh, individual at, at the car fire attempted to put the fire out himself. You should not do that. Um, you need to be checked out. Fire and rescue was there. Uh, police were there. Fire police were there for traffic control and towing and recovery was there. So Again, all that apply, about half of the potential re responders um, were checked off on that. Uh, incident response activities is next. And then for each agency, fire department, EMS, law enforcement, it gives several different options. So for EMS, it, was this a medical emergency or did they provide patient care? For the fire department, was it fire suppression? Was it patient care? Was it hazmat, was it entrapment, and other, of course. So each one of the categories, fire department, EMS, law enforcement, fire police, safety service patrol, DOT, towing and recovery, or any other agency, has some checkoffs that allow you to capture what they were actually doing. The next item was what type of vehicle struck the person or the emergency vehicle. And there are two categories. Was it an emergency vehicle that struck something or was it a civilian vehicle that struck something? And each one has about, again, about 10 uh, different categories uh, of types of vehicles. Uh, again, just to capture so we can determine, are these people on uh, SUVs? Are these pickup trucks? Are they fire engines? Are they police cars? What type of vehicle uh, actually is striking 
someone else or something else. Uh, our next category talks about the people uh, that were struck uh, and what category they fall into. So were they a fire person? Were they a fire police person? Were they EMS person, law enforcement? And it just simply indicates or ask you to indicate uh, how many happened, how many were hit. Was it one police officer and two firefighters? Was it a civilian and a, and a tow operator? And you just put in the, the numbers uh, and it captures that. The next form or next thing is the damage to the emergency vehicle uh, and what type of vehicle was struck. And then the next one is traffic incident management information, were there traffic control devices in place or not? And if they were, what was in place? So we're trying to get, in, in this case, get behind the data and find out, okay, we had the we had the barriers up. We had the advance warning up. We had cones up. Why did this person go through? What did they hit? Um, or you know, was this just uh, uh, ignorance or another accident that caused them to, to strike the, the fire truck or the police car or the person? Uh, number 11 asks about high visibility apparel and whether or not it was being worn, and if so, by all or just by some. And then the last question is enter any additional information. Uh, if you want to provide pictures or other documentation, you have the ability to do that. And it gives you the opportunity to put your email address in so that you can be contacted by the reviewers uh, of the report at a later date. And that's it. And the testing up to this point, the most time it has taken to enter, it's about five minutes. And that's with a novice who was double checking everything as they were going through the data. Okay. So a lot of boxes, but not a lot of text, not a lot of, like you said, you, you described it as not rocket science, seems relatively straightforward and something that uh, most of us should certainly be able to take the time to complete. Right. And we've already had from two different sources, uh, a request to have a PDF uh, form downloadable so that this can be downloaded and printed off so that it can be checked off and given to somebody, whether it's in a 911 center in an administrative position or whatever, so that they can enter it at a later date. And we are in the process. In fact, uh, I finished that midday today. So we will have that available very shortly as well. Okay, very good. You know, as as you were talking about uh, the the project, it it made me think about uh, Don Abbott's Project Mayday, uh, which is for those that haven't seen that. Uh, I mean, ProjectMayday.net is an amazing uh, a, a piece of work that's brought together over twelve thousand self-reported uh, Mayday incident. So I encourage people to take a look at that. But that's again another for another day. We we actually had a podcast with uh, Don Abbott, and we'll in, we'll include that in the show notes as well here. But it sounds to me very similar in what we're trying to do here. But it sounds like this particular project is only talking about fatalities. Is that right? And it is if so. Are we going to hopefully be moving towards capturing near miss struck by incidents where where, so, a struck, where a struck by has happened, but somebody hasn't necessarily died? So you are absolutely right. This is very similar to Don Abbott's project or concept uh, for the Project Mayday. 
Uh, and in fact, we used the concept of Project Mayday uh, several times as we were strategizing what the tool should look like, how it should be applied, and, and so on. So thank you, Don Abbott, for your wisdom and insight in, in creating that because you helped us out with our, our approach. Uh, to answer your second question, this is designed specifically to capture information about injuries. Well, first of all, strikes, and then injuries, property damage, and fatalities. Those are the three main things. Is okay, so, so not, just, not just isolated to fatality incidents. This will actually capture struck bys whether there was a fatality or not. That's correct. Okay. It's, it's designed to capture injuries, fatalities, and vehicle damage. Okay, good. Okay. All right, well, that's good. Good. Near misses, near misses are on the radar, but it was not part of this specific project. And as we all know, you know, projects have to meet uh, a specific set of criteria, and and this one didn't have that in it. Sure. I mean, it, for some, the near miss would be that we didn't kill someone, but um, indeed, the near misses where nobody got hurt uh, and there was no property damage is something we're not ready to capture yet. And and uh, fair enough that hopefully one day we'll we'll be in a position to begin capturing that. But that's good that we're uh, I won't say mirroring. Project Mayday, but at least we uh, did the research in between to, you know, uh, help replicate something that's already working, and, and that's that's good. Right, and I believe also Don's project relied upon uh, FAA near miss concepts uh, in in their system, as did ours. We also okay uh, good. talked a lot about that approach. Good. Is there anything else we should be doing to improve responder safety on a roadway? Anything we haven't talked about, or anything that this project doesn't help uh, identify? Well, I think that if we if we go back to a very basic risk management principle that I learned as a kid in college, uh, you, you have the three E's, um, engineering, education, and enforcement. And we have to continually look at the three E's to understand that this is a behavioral issue on the part of the striking party. And the any way we can to engineer out the problem, um, we should be working on any way that we then have to uh, educate uh, the, the individuals about this problem and how to avoid it, we should be doing. And last but not least, when somebody gets caught and, and they've done it, they need, to, they need to suffer the appropriate penalty um, for not abiding by the law. Yeah. So I would, I would advocate for going back and, and subscribing to the, the three E's of safety and engineering. Yeah, it makes me wonder, and, and, you know, obviously you served as the chair of CFSI, Congressional Fire Service Institute, whether um, we need to push some buttons there to potentially work on the enforcement side, because that's really outside the scope of the local fire chief. Uh, but but it is certainly something the, the local fire chief can advocate for within their legislative bodies. Um, is it something that we can get on the radar for CFSI? I think that the, the whole issue is something that we can, um, in some way, shape, or form, develop a, yeah. an approach for a resolution, and and see if we can't move the resolution forward through the National Advisory Council and then uh, up to the board. Right. Absolutely. All right. Anything else you'd like to add, Doc? Well, I think that the other thing we can all do is build a a collective um, a, approach in in all of our stakeholders in this. We've tried very hard here to identify and uh, em embrace 
all the different organizations in this. And if we take that down to a local level and, and make sure that our two operators meet on a regular basis with law enforcement and fire and, and so on. And, and I'll throw a plug in here, the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission based in Philadelphia, a number of years back, initiated traffic incident, incident management task forces. And I served as the chair for the one that is on uh, Route 476 and 76, which is my area of suburban Philadelphia. I chaired that for the first five years. And we built a, a collective group involving legislators, local elected officials, fire department, law enforcement, EMS, tow operators, hazmat teams, local training agencies, and so on to get things off the dime. And then ultimately got our state senator involved and lo and behold, things started to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, we even have the mass transit agency that's been involved in some of the exercises um, with us. And, and it just seems like the more, more involved parties that you have uh, engaging in dialogue on this on a regular basis, the more good things happen. And we've been able to develop training programs locally. We've developed our own standard operating guidelines as a region. We have uh, uh, implemented a variety of tools and techniques with Pennsylvania Department of Transportation using their traffic uh, management uh, operations center where all the cameras are. And, and, and it just seems like good things happen when you get people around a table and you're all working for a common goal. And I would advocate that for any part of the country that doesn't have it for today. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen it work. Uh, I'm part of the group. I appreciate uh, you coming on and talking with us. Uh, the, that collaboration, uh, we cannot talk enough about that. And um, I concur there are many places that have implemented programs and have that collaborative approach, but many, many others who have not and don't. So uh, appreciate the, the advice to folks. We've been talking with Dr. Bill Genoway, who is the project manager for the Traffic Incident Management Struck By Reporting Project. Uh, it's being coordinated through the Emergency Responder Safety Institute. The link is in our show notes. We talked about the D driver, that's distracted drivers, and all the things that contribute to that, cell phones, drinking, drowsiness, all of those uh, things that contribute to distracted drivers. Then we talked about the resources that are available to uh, fire departments out there. That's uh, not just fire departments, but uh, any first responder. Uh, and that's respondersafety.com. And again, the uh, link will be in our show notes. Uh, we talked about the move over laws and notices for awareness and uh, how uh, drivers and others are notified through third-party programs about incidents on the roadway. Uh, then we talked about the costs uh, in some broad terms associated with struck by incidents. Uh, that is uh, the, not just life safety, but vehicles, infrastructure, commerce delays, mental health challenges. Uh, we know fire engines are 700,000 or more in some cases. Ambulances are 250,000, 300,000 or more. Ladder trucks, if you're, if you're using that for blocking, 1.2 million or more. Uh, we know that those fire trucks cost a lot of money, but looking at the uh, approach uh, that Pennsylvania used in a uh, analysis of $1 million a minute when they shut down a particular uh, major highway, uh, it's an amazing amount of commerce. While uh, they, out of that analysis, created a law that 
empowers the fire department to be able to move vehicles when law enforcement's not available. Uh, so a lot of work going into that, but the things that we talked about, and you can certainly go back and listen. Uh, then we talked about the three E's uh, after uh, Dr. Genoway uh, uh, talked to us about the reporting program and all of the 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 uh, uh, 12 pages or, or I'm sorry sections of analytics that you'll go through very short uh, bulleted where you uh, just check a box basically to answer the questions or fill in a little bit of data not a lot to it uh, we talked about um, the three E's uh, to uh, solving the problem that's engineering education and enforcement uh, and then uh, we kind of closed out with a discussion about the uh, collaborative approach that's necessary with our stakeholders. That's law enforcement, fire, EMS, towing, safety patrols, the highway um, uh, management folks, that that a collaborative approach is the only way that we're truly going to end up making a difference for, for everyone. Uh, and uh, using the three E's as the basis for improvement, we've got to build that collaborative approach so we're all on the same page at the same time for the right reasons. So folks, I, that's all we have time for today. We've been talking with Dr. Bill Genoway about the new roadway safety reporting system. Dr. Genoway, thanks for being with us, and thanks to our listeners for hanging in there. This is Mark Bashore, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. We'll talk to you next time here on Side Alpha Podcast. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.